Hi podcasters, thank you for joining us on the Workplace Talk podcast. This is episode 4, the final of our productivity series. And I must admit this has been a really fun masterclass. So far, we have learned how to get things done in episode 1. Then we discussed balancing personal and career goals in episode 2. We also looked at the nuts and bolts of performance management in episode 3. This final episode is about giving feedback and running effective meetings. I continue this discussion with my two guests, Mr. Bob Patterson and Benedict Omolo. Bob is semi-retired and has 50 years working experience. 34 of those have been with a Fortune 500 company and the rest of the time he has spent running a local Kenyan company. My other guest is Mr. Benedict a colleague here at the Standard Group, where he is the head of strategy and innovation. And I am your host, Caroline Kimutai, the digital editor at the Standard Group. Now let's get this conversation going. There's something that Bob said, praise in public, criticize in private. Giving feedback, and especially negative feedback, is not easy. How do you deliver feedback so that it doesn't look like criticism? Well, I guess, first of all, negative feedback, in fact, is criticism. That's the whole idea. But you take it from the perspective of how do I help you improve, as opposed to... Uh, you're just not very smart and you didn't do it right. Uh, you know, in terms of you look at what you were trying to accomplish and presumably you didn't accomplish it. So the question is, why not? Is there something that I, as your manager, can do to help you improve that? I mean, I'm a, a fundamental believer that most people have the ability to perform well. If they don't perform well, there is a reason. And if I, as a supervisor, can find out that reason and can find a way of counteracting that, then I've done my job. So, uh, so yeah, it is criticism, but you don't do it in a, um, an aggressive negative sense. You do it in a positive sense. Like you, you know, not that employees are children, but you think about the way you teach your children. You don't teach your children by simply criticizing them. You teach them by helping them understand how they can improve to whatever standard you have. Yeah. And maybe just to add, I, I think there's there's always the assumption that managers know how to uh, pass negative feedback. Um, I think it's also something which a manager must recognize. Do I have the skills? And if they do not have the skills, then they, they train themselves or learn or read about it. Uh, how to communicate negative or, or, or uh, feedback effectively. Uh, because then there are some who totally avoid it. Because it's uncomfortable. But you need to do it. So you need to skill yourself to be able to have those difficult conversations uh, because that's part and parcel of what leadership is all about. Now, the organizations that do 360, 360 feedback, uh, so um, you evaluate downwards your subordinates and they evaluate you. So you have that, you know, um, managers who have very bad reviews, yet they are good performers. How do you deal with that, Ben? I think the, the whole, to be able to accomplish uh, the 360 review, you need a culture that is 
well able to manage it because it means that there's got to be an open culture and people are interacting from a sense of complete openness and honesty so that it's not an opportunity to then beat your boss down it, it, it's got to be an opportunity to say okay fine he could be better on this way remember also that our personalities are very different you have stricter managers you have those who are more happier you have those who tend to be more embracing so it, it's it's different so it's we've got to then find a way that we harmonize all that okay um as as it's just like even teachers in school they're those ones who are pretty strict and 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 then there are those who push more and then there are those who are more accommodative how do we then ensure that we are pushing the values that we do have as an as an organization that's what we want to really push for but the main issue would be are there learning points or behavioral gaps with the, within those supervisors that need to be addressed are there some uh, um, rough edges that can be refined. However, again, and, may, and maybe Bob would be able to elucidate on this much more. Uh, I'm personally biased to saying, let people play to their strengths. So basically, uh, uh, pushing out your strengths much, much more. Uh, but you could have some things that you you have weaknesses in. How do you then refine those? Just a bit, tone them down. Um, but we shouldn't have a situation where in a 360 evaluation it becomes an opportunity to bash a supervisor just because they are, they are more given to results. That's, that's not it. The culture should be such that we are saying we are going to give honest, good feedback to help us all together as a team move forward. So that, that should be the principle. Yeah, I, I agree. It's not an opportunity simply to beat up your boss. But if, you're, if, you're, if you get 360 and your boss is beaten, being beaten up, there is a reason for it. It means collectively, assuming it doesn't come from one person, people do not feel comfortable working for this person. And to a large degree, it's a question of management style. If you go back 25 years, management style was very aggressive. Bosses demanded things. And sometimes were very successful. Uh, but ultimately what happened was the organization failed because then people decide I don't want to work for this boss so I get a chance to work in his department I go no I'd rather not so you know say and, and I think if you go back to some of the classic coaches in football or anything those were the guys that were just mean people but they accomplished things they they accomplished things so from that perspective you know an organization looking at their performance would say boy that guy really delivered but what they found is that people didn't want to go and join that team any longer. So longer term, it hurts an organization. So if you get a bunch of negative feedback with a supervisor, you then try to sensitize the supervisor that he can accomplish just as much, but do it in a different manner. Okay, because ultimately the people working for him are the people who are going to hopefully move up through the organization. And we don't want them to either not join his team or Alternatively, say I'm going to go work for somebody else, another company, because I just don't like the way my boss uh, my, my boss treats me. Yeah, um, I know there's a favorite um, saying that people don't leave companies; they leave their bosses. And sometimes uh, bosses can demotivate or motivate teams. But then there are also the good bosses. But the teams are not. You know, the, the team says you're a good boss, but the performance of the team is not as expected. So what is happening in that situation? You're a good boss, poor team performance, bad boss, good team 
output. Well, I'm not sure I would call them good and bad bosses. One is effective, but irritating. One is nice, but ineffective. And what I want is actually the combination. I want the nice boss who is effective. So the guy who is nice but not effective, maybe he is not as demanding. He lets his subordinates get away. So that's, again, a conversation you have with the supervisor. As this, the guy who is very effective but is nasty, you talk to him about how he can be a lot nicer uh, for his, his, his employees. I mean, again, I have a, a little saying that I say is you've got to be nice to the people on your way up because at some point you may be working for them. And I mean, if you're in business long enough, and I can question, uh, I worked for guys that I used to, that used to work for me. So, you know, if I didn't treat them reasonably, now it wasn't necessarily easy on them, you can imagine what it would have been like when I, when I now had to report to them. Your views? I think it's, it's, it's about being effective without necessarily being obnoxious. So it's, it's very, very important that as a manager, um, and, and as bosses to also get to realize, and that maybe is the effectiveness of the 360, is to get to understand your blind spots. And then how do you address those blind spots? Because some of these things are just a bit of training and changing. Uh, today there are lots of books on emotional intelligence and stuff like that, which could help in terms of just um, starting to understand yourself. Um, uh, but not to be less demanding. The issue is to be demanding yet amiable so that there is a sense of uh, working within a collegial environment, uh, but you are productive as a team. Okay. Right, moving on, um, meetings. I think um, we attend a lot of meetings, um, but some of the meetings are unnecessary. Could be an email, could be a phone call, could be a text. Um, Bob. <laughs> Meetings are the biggest time waster in every organization. And because they, they aren't, typically they aren't organized. You know, the, you know, the first thing you should have to ask is, okay, so why are we meeting? Are we going to make a decision? Is this for me to get information? Is, you know, kind of why are we meeting? Then sort of, what's my role in this? Why have I been invited to this? Am I contributing information? Am I the decision maker? Um, and then what are the expected outcomes? So what are we, what, at the end of the day, we're going to make a decision on this or we're going to, what are we going to do with this? And I think if people organizing meetings ask themselves those questions, a lot of meetings wouldn't happen because we, we all get together to discuss things that we really don't know, to make decisions we aren't going to make, uh, and then we're all going to leave, and we're not going to make minutes. So, you know, that's the, you know, so it's really the meeting organizer. So why do I want to get these people together? Uh, you know, I came from an organization that had, uh, I went way too many meetings, to an organization now where we have very few meetings. But again, we have a very clear idea about what we're going to try to do. Uh, one of the things, when I organize a meeting, I send out both the agenda and, if there's a presentation, the presentation. There's no reason for them to wait to come to the meeting to see the presentation. If they get it ahead of time, they can do some thinking about it. If there's a decision to make, they can think about what decision they, they, should, they should do. So that's some of the things that makes the meetings at least a lot shorter than they would normally be. And the other thing is we always produce minutes from meetings. So what, what was discussed, what was the answer? It doesn't have to be long, just so long as you've, you've got all that information. 
Yeah, that's that's interesting. Um but Ben, is that the reality on the ground where you know it's Friday, five o'clock, boss says Ben, Monday nine thirty, we have an urgent meeting, we need to discuss one, two, three. You can't tell your boss no. And he doesn't expect you not to attend. It is actually an instruction on Monday, this and this meeting. I, I think that um, one is just, as Bob has rightly said, how do you set up your meeting uh, so that it is then effective? So one has got to understand, is it, um, even, even when you look at the agenda item, is it for information purposes or is there a decision to be made? And uh, uh, the person making the presentation needs to be able to stop and say, I need a decision here. So that that call out for that decision is very, very clear. And the minutes capture that decision. Because if you don't do that, then you end up with a lot of talking shops. And, and that cannot be how an organization will go forward. If it's for information purposes, some of it is for learning so that we are all on the same page. And that's okay. But I think uh, organizations should also be able to come to that point where they allow employees, team members to say no. The issue of no, saying no uh, to either extra work or being summoned into a meeting is, is something which we need to start upholding. And, and maybe for us as Kenyans, Africans, you know, children, we were never brought up to, to say no. Instructions were like a military <laughs> uh, thing. But for you to be effective, when you start learning to say no, I'm not coming for this. I'm not doing that. Because there's a lot of demand. That helps you then remove a lot of the chaff. Or the other thing also is to effectively delegate. Because when you know the type of meeting, you then ask yourself, should I be the one to attend? Or there's somebody else in my team who is more effective to participate in that meeting? I think that's, that's, that's an important thing that we need to be able to separate. Uh, but I agree we need to reduce uh, the meetings and also the time spent in those meetings because some of them can be actually quickly done. And today with all the technology we have, we can actually meet very quickly uh, these virtual things. Do you need a decision now? Yeah, okay, fine. Let's just deliberate. Let's do a Zoom, Skype, something and quickly get it out of the way so that it's not nudging us. Um, I, I, and then I, I agree. The pre-meeting pre briefs, what should we read? What should we prepare for so that there is better thought? You bring in a greater thinking and knowledge to that discussion because that's really what you need the meeting for. Uh, so don't ambush us. Uh, and, and especially today where some things are extremely complex. You know, this digital world has some complex things. Uh, they may look ordinary, but to some of us, they are out of this blue. You know, you're talking about things mixing here and there. So with all this knowledge economy, we've got to be able to synthesize those things into short, factual things which we need to read. Then we can make better decisions. Okay. Um, I know with the pandemic, we've had a lot of virtual meetings. And I've had people say now that uh, the commute is reduced. In a day, if you had two meetings, you find that you have four, even five meetings. So, Bob, if you're conducting a Zoom meeting, how do you ensure you keep it short and brief? Remember, there are people who say, you know, I can't hear you. Someone forgets to mute and mute. Very interesting when you listen, sit in. We spent almost 20% of the time asking, can you hear me? 
on you know your voice can i put on my camera and you know so how do you make i'll start with virtual meetings efficient i think there's two things i mean first of all is making sure you have an agenda and you know what you want to do whether it's a virtual meeting or an in-person meeting that's absolutely critical you know otherwise uh, and and i think the second one i i, I didn't mention and i meant to was um i'm appalled uh, at uh, in kenya the lack of respect for people's time the number of times that i have been invited to a meeting i show up at 10 o'clock and for some reason the rest of the crew doesn't show up until 11 you know that's wasted an hour of my time so i tell people that timeliness really is next to godliness and being late means you don't care period so what i do in my company is i lock the door at the, at 10 o'clock If you weren't there then you're not attending the meeting and then you come and apologize later and I keep saying is do you know what the difference between urgent and important is because usually it's I had an urgent thing yes well and then we have a conversation the difference between urgent and important um and I said so you've clearly decided that what I was doing was less important than what you were doing and of course I get the answer no well then you made the wrong decision then you you know so so yeah so having an agenda is the important thing um I'm also a great believer in if you're going to have a zoom meeting or a or a teams meeting or whatever the other google one is that you put your camera on and you put your microphone on and if you're not supposed to be talking then you be quiet you know uh, and if you have little kids running around fire put it on mute but this idea of having meetings with blank screens and then we why don't we just have a telephone call i mean we don't need that we don't need a zoom meeting if we're if we're all we're doing is 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 listening to one another so it's uh, you know i uh, that's kind of the, my thing i think not showing yourself on camera really is just i consider very rude it's like having a conversation with a wall between the two of us your thoughts about <laughs> virtual meetings and putting on cameras <laughs> yeah i think uh, the putting on cameras when we began it was the thing to do uh, today most people turn them off maybe because of bandwidth but um, because you knew that it was a scheduled meeting um, for me what i expect of the people is number one get to a place where you know not to disparage Kenya power but they seem to just go off when on the day you have chosen to do a meeting from home <laughs> so number one, make sure you've you're at a place which has got good electricity or backup electricity and number two, you have also provided for good bandwidth so that then if you're doing a presentation or it is required for all of you to turn on your cameras you can be able to have your camera on and it does not disrupt the quality of your sound Okay. So because it's a scheduled meeting, especially for scheduled meetings, impromptu that's fine. You can catch me in the car and I'll put on teams, put on the sound. But for scheduled meetings, if we say we have weekly meetings, I think it is respectful that you get to where there is good power, good connectivity, good bandwidth. Interesting. And start on time. Yes. So I agree, start on time. So if talked about um starting on time preparing for the meeting we are the meeting um and then you find that bigger the bigger the meeting the less effective sometimes the smaller the meet the, the participants the more effective so if you're running a big meeting how do you make it effective i think the real question is is why is it a big meeting 
typically if it's a big meeting it means this is a this is a information sharing it's kind of going out as opposed to a decision making occasionally their decision makings are big meetings but those usually are very difficult because how do you get 14 people to make a decision? You know, typically, you can't. Uh, really means the decision's probably already been made and you're just kind of informing people, which that, to me then, that is an information meeting. So doing that is is it's it's all kind of, you know, uh, data going out as opposed to data going in. But at the end of every meeting, you always have to do a poll in terms of is there anything else we should be talking about? Any other comments people want to make? Because big meetings, a lot of people don't want to interrupt and say anything so they stay quiet when in fact they may have a gem of a piece of information or an idea that you'd like to hear. So at the end of the meeting, kind of going around and making sure everybody's had a chance to say something, and typically 90% of the people don't want to, but you always want to give them the opportunity to in fact contribute to the, to the, the information and decision. Okay. I, I think it's very important that you have the chair who understands the people in the meeting. Now, sometimes if it's a very big meeting, it may be people whom he, he or she may not be familiar with. But it's important for the chair to observe two things. One, generally in meetings, you'd have those who talk a lot who are bold and tend to talk. So for every, every, everything that's mentioned, they'll have an opinion, which is fine. But there's also the quiet ones. How do you bring the introverts who sometimes have very interesting views? In fact, the introverts could stop us going down the wrong hill because they tend to come with a question which you wonder, I mean, boss, we've been here talking for two hours and now you're rubbishing our conversation. But when you think about what they raise, it is so significant that can change the direction of the organization or what you really intended to do. So it, it's very incumbent on the, on, the, on the chair to be able to determine those kind of people who will generally not uh, uh, speak up until you point them out or call them out. It's just the same way that a teacher gets to understand their students and gets to know that there's this fellow who throws up his hand at every question. And then there's that quiet one whom, unless you prod, they will not contribute. So I, I think that sensitivity of the chair of the meeting is very, very important so that then there's collective contribution and participation of the members. Otherwise, if somebody just comes and sits in throughout, never, never commenting, sooner or later, they feel it's a waste of time. So you want to make sure that people are engaged through that meeting and you're getting contributions from those who uh, offer it on their own volition and those who need some prodding. So that sensitivity needs to be there. Okay, I want to play devil's advocate and say sometimes, and I've seen in my experience, uh, that someone will want a decision to be made and write an email to five of us, and only two will respond. The rest won't, and the person has to call a meeting. Yet an email, yes, no, or I think this or that should have been done. So I think also as, as managers and team players, we also fail our colleagues. That Bob can write to us saying, this, and, um, I'm working on this project, this is how far I've gotten, uh, but on this item of the budget, I've gotten these two quotations, X and Y, what do you think? I want Y because of this. Uh, uh, please uh, uh, give me feedback. One day, two day, three days, doesn't happen, so he has to call a meeting. Yeah, I, I, and, and it's, it's also the protocols that one sets on emails. I mean, one of the things that I tell those who write to me emails, I mean, by line two, tell me what I'm looking for. Um, because, I mean, 
let let me know you you expecting something from me when you when you write a whole thesis and at the bottom you ask for an opinion i i don't know um there's so much there's so much that comes our way and so we've got to have what you'd call hygiene what is your workplace approach to some of these things so that in the first paragraph or second very early on in the conversation make it known mm. i'm looking for this decision now here is the context that's that's very very important but when it is hidden somewhere through the email remember that for a lot of managers time is of essence so he opens this thing that one he's just going to push because it's a long email you know it's like the long whatsapp which some people want you long read i'm not going to read <laughs> you, you know it's long what are you looking for so the, the the issue is let's let's help our managers also help us by quickly bringing to their attention in the first line please sir please madam i want a decision on the following then you narrate what it is very quickly and succinctly so don't give don't give a long story if they don't understand it chances are they will call you to explain chances are but make it short brief clear what you expect from them yeah. I, i think a, a couple things I, i agree with men in terms of i think you know when i'm looking for a decision i put it in the subject okay the other thing is i tell people if you're carbon copied you have no obligation to even read it means you're not important here just this is for your information so you can read it if you want and uh third is i believe every email should be answered within 24 hours okay and if you don't have the answer you send a note saying don't have the answer i'll get back to you two days three days whatever the number happens to be but that gets you you at least tells the person i read it and i understand that what you want um but in terms of you know asking for decisions and people not responding and calling a meeting that is a a horrible waste of time you know i uh, the answer is you know people have to be able to respond in a timely manner um and you know depending on what it is the answer is i think if people don't answer then the presumption is they agree whatever you've decided if it's not important for them to answer that means they probably agree right so um as we conclude this conversation on meetings what should happen at the end after the meeting happens so we've met we've discussed what happens follow up so that when we meet again we are not reading what we discussed the other time so how should an effective meeting end and what follows after that i, th- I think first of all minutes are important minutes can uh, highlight what was discussed but at the end of it is okay so what happens next so it is action who's responsible when and you hold everybody accountable to that then and you can just sort of the you know when the time comes you can say Caroline you were going to do this is it done yes or no uh and it what that saves is now another meeting discuss the meeting we already had uh because we didn't we didn't document what was supposed to be done so and you then you can run depending on the kind of meeting you have i mean uh, my uh, uh performance uh meetings I have at my company I have you know minutes and they just keep rolling over so if you didn't do it this if there was an issue this quarter or this month you didn't do it then I'm asking you for a next meeting and I put the date on so then I say it's been 3 months but since I asked you to do this I mean is there some reason you haven't done it yeah but you sound like you're the one who does the minutes and follows up many of us don't have that time well somebody has to who Well, in terms of, you know, again, uh in uh, for example, in board meetings, we appoint a secretary. Okay, so it depending on how complicated your meeting is, you either have a secretary to do it or you do it. 
you know, and since if you're the chairman and you're the one that's trying to make move this thing forward, I strongly suggest you're the one that should do it because then you'll make sure you put in those minutes exactly what you think should be done rather than what some... Because the trouble is a secretary may interpret things differently, which means now they write the minutes, send them to you. You say, oh, no, that's not right. That's back to the secretary. You know, and you can waste an awful lot of time. Uh, given most of us can, can uh, uh, type fairly accurately, taking a set of minutes is, is not that much... It's not that really difficult activity. Ben, what are your thoughts around follow-up? Yeah, I think it would be good to have those minutes, but with a tracker, and some things must be closed, um, so that the by when, it can't be rolled beyond two meetings. We assigned it to you last week, this week it's not done, we give you a second chance, then it has to be closed. So some of this also, um, in my view, um, should get into the ultimate uh, performance conversation. Uh, which the supervisor needs to pick because you then have a lot of open-ended issues. They're not getting closed. And so they become a burden, um, not just a burden to the meetings themselves, but it means some tasks because if they're important enough to have been discussed, they need to be executed. So it's very important that they get closed. This has been a really eye-opening discussion for the last four episodes. We now end part four of the productivity series here. Thank you very much for listening and for all the feedback you have given us through the weeks. Make a date with us. You can also find the Workplace Talk podcast on Google, Spotify, Amazon, TuneIn, and Apple. See you next time.